It's time to rehydrate your gerbil, oil up your astrolabe, and indulge in some saucy knitting. Because it's time to talk tall to me. I'm Omen Said. And I'm Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moans, and this is Talk Tall to Me. This is the podcast where we work our way chronologically through every song along every album that Jethro Tull ever recorded. We're starting with studio albums, don't get too excited. (laughs) But this week we are just about halfway through Tull's second album, Stand Up. And this week, what are we going to chat about? What are we talking tall about this week, Omen? This week, we are talking about Look Into the Sun. And here it is. Omen, I know know we, we end every listen sesh with kind of a breather and a moment of of awe yeah but this time we really mean it this is really genuine though like this i i i we could do a whole series just on this song honestly and it's not i i i don't even know what to say let me let me just give you some facts yeah fact when i was a teenager, I would sometimes listen to this song in the morning while I was getting ready for school. And in that context, probably listened to it a hundred times. I mean, this is one of those songs at least that just it when I was having a hard time, this song like spoke to me and filled me with warmth and and a bittersweet feeling, but uh, but a very very st- strong, positive feeling. Yeah, it is. I know I I may, I may end up saying this a bit more over the next couple albums, but this is up there with one of my favorites. Really, absolutely, absolutely, hands down. It is. It just it is so moving to me. This song. I I don't know if I could say that it's in my top five or even you know, top seven, like, songs in terms of, like, preference, but it is one that affects me so much. And I think that's, I think it's partly because of the relationship that I had with this song at the age when I first heard it. Sure, it was, it was formative. It was ingrained in you in formative years. Yeah, I mean, I probably started listening to this song when I was 16, 17, and listened to it regularly. Yeah through 18 19 maybe 20 and and for me it was just it was a sov is that how you pronounce it it was a balm self it was a slav <laughs> it was a salve on the you know the sort of like chronic repetitive heartbreaks and crushes that i had throughout those ages i don't know if you remember it was a salami on the uh, cold cut sandwich that was my relationships in high school <laughs> No, I mean it's it the it 
it speaks to a teenage boy. Totally, exactly. It's emo. It's 1969 it's so, emo. That's so funny. I would never have thought. I would never have said that. But you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's any song off of the Blue Album or Pinkerton by Weezer. It's it's that. It's the same thing. It's why it spoke to me. Yeah. There's a there's a pinch of regret, a a thimble full of melancholy, a slice, a dash of spite, a dash of spite. But yes, but but tempered by a sort of a wash of of temporal perspective of cyclical tempor- temporal perspective and growth sure yeah cuz there are songs there are songs especially you know there are Ian Anderson type songs that are really the kind of like ooh i don't like you screwed me over yeah yeah and this is really more like i it's it's like full circle now seeing it all together. I see that that you missed out and I'm still okay. There's there is a level of of acceptance and resignation to the to the situation. But there's also a part in there that is very it's not too late. There's a very, we can still make summer. Summer always comes anyway. Right, right, right. There's a, there's a sense of hopefulness. To yeah. It. And it's, it's, it's mm. a very, it's a, it's a specific hopefulness. It's not that I'll get over it and I'll be fine. It's that, that you will come back to your senses and we will be fine. Interesting. Interesting, Nick. That's that it's, there's that level of. I see it in in this kind of arc that there's loss, regret, acceptance and resignation, but then there's that hope, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's even a healthy hope. Is any hope truly healthy, Nick? It was at the bottom of Pandora's basket. Oh, that's really dark, Omen. (laughs) That was really dark. Thank thank you. (laughs) I think it's interesting. I think you and I have slightly different perspectives on like, and neither of them are wrong, I think. But it's funny you I, you are saying that you see this song as being about the same relationship, the singer's relationship with one other individual. Yeah. Whereas, and I think, and I think that's totally supported in the text. For me, I always imagined it as being like a series, uh, like a like a oh. cycle of this kind of heartbreak. But I think that's because sure. I was applying it to my life at that time when I was listening to it. And I had like a crush on someone else every couple of months. That's hilarious because I had one person who kept breaking my heart. I mean, over and over. Well, and this is, and this is, I mean, this is the proof of a good song, right? Like, sure. If the song is so good that it, it's not only its own source material, it takes source material from your life. Yeah, it's applicable in multiple situations and speaks to whoever's listening to it. Yeah, I think that this is one of those songs where, in terms of the trajectory, in terms of the in terms of the chronological trajectory of Jethro Tull, that we really start to see Ian Anderson as a really gifted songwriter. Yeah, there is poetry. I think this is when he's really starting to. He's been decanted, and now he's started to oxygenate enough to where you can really get that nose feel you get the bouquet yeah for sure i'm getting i'm getting a bouquet on this on this song and i'm not talking about baby's breath it's all flowers there is 
definitely a poetry here. It is one of the more complex, I think. There's more complexity here in, in terms of the lyrics than I think anything that we've seen really thus far, except for maybe s s oh, what was the what, what was the first one? What was what was the first single? This this portion of the uh, this portion of the show is is being simulcast simulcast in parcel tongue, in parcel tongue for all of our snake listeners. <laughs> oh gosh, what was the first? I I've completely and utterly ruined the joke. Oh, the like um the sunny sunny, sunny something sunshine sunny sunshine day. That's it. Sunshine day. Yeah, this is as far from sunshine day as you get, which is yeah amusing because the titles. Haha. Look into my sunshine day. Where the sun don't shine. A mashup. No, this is this is so. Oh my gosh, this song is so deep. Can we talk a little bit about Martin Barr? About the fabulous Martin Barr on this song? Yeah, I, I would love to talk musical now. Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that I find is so interesting here, and and oh my gosh, they must have just been so chuffed to have found Martin Barr. In the previous episode, we talked about Back to the Family, where he is jamming, where Martin Barr is jamming on some harsh electric like laying the groundwork for heavy metal basically yeah i see that and on this song i almost feel i i can almost imagine like mark knopfler as a teenager getting this album and listening to it and being like inspired by those sweet like tonal guitar licks he's really making the guitar sing in that kind of like mark knopfler way you know i feel like improvisational bluesy almost it feels it's just like you just close your eyes and you just go but with such a with such a specific form sure yeah yeah not just random blues noodling like some people do oh no 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 more speaking through the guitar exactly exactly a reactive responsive to what ian is singing yeah, and there's not much of it. No. There are not that many. There's not that much Martin Marr, but it's so effective. And then and then later on he brings out the wah pedal. Mm. And he does that not like that, but like more like that. The a, a depressed basset hound. That's what that was. Oh, I saw a little basset hound today. He was overweight and he looked a little sad. Yeah. Basset hounds are are lazy unless you you really work them. They need a lot of running. Yeah, so they're very easy to get over. Same thing with um with pugs. Pugs will will run around until they flop over, but if you don't run them, they won't ask to go. So they'll just they're more than happy to just sit and be f- lumps of of pug. Talk pug to me. Um, <laughs> Clive's bass in the back. Oh yeah, is just very light and lilting. And I've never noticed it until I listened to it with these with these headphones. Mm. But it's it's just in the back and it's really subtle. But it's it's just it feels like it feels almost like a um like you see a, a butterfly on a windless day, just kind of that up and down flighty floaty. That is very poetic. You like Nick. that one? Yes, I do I do like that. Yeah, that's 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 how I feel. Well, I mean it's summer. It's the summer theme of of look into the sun. Yeah. It's a it's a butterfly base. Yeah. And we get a lot from Martin Barr in this. There's the strumming. I think that's Ian Anderson. You think it's two? I think that, it, yeah, I do. I think the the acoustic guitar, which goes throughout, I believe that's, I believe that's Anderson. Oh, no, no. 
Yes, that that what you're talking about. Yes, but there is a subtle electric strum in the back as well. Oh, interesting. That I, I think is really accompanying. Yeah. Until he hits those points where it's just like the he feels Jesus in his soul and he has to go. And and he just he gets that like yes that sprightly like pow. It it feels like on any performance it's going to be random to me. It feels like. It's amazing because there's so much energy in this song, and yet it's also like the, it's held. It's um, mm. it's yeah. uh, tonu. It's 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 held back a little bit, you know, like it, like like they're not, you know, in the like think back to um to this was where everything was just like, blah, yeah, straight right. out, like just like flopped on the table mm-hmm. in front of you. This is like really being held back and just rolled out as needed, and the mm. whole thing. I would be really interested to like talk to somebody about this song who really knows about recording and stuff mm-hmm. because i i feel like the entire sound is just bathed in like golden light yeah i don't know how they achieved that it feels it definitely elicits that that sun that summer feeling that like sitting on a a hill in a park almost right and seeing that kind of haze yeah. on the horizon the, the the heat the heat haze I think that's also a good image there, that heat haze, because there's a, a, a certain thickness. There's a certain mournful thickness that I feel with the song as well. That was my um, my stripper name. Um, uh, and, and that's not even that has nothing to do with. Well, I'm sure it does have to do with the lyrics, but but just sound wise, I get that feeling, too. I think that if. Yeah. I agree. I think that if if you took out the lyrics or mm-hmm. if you listened to this song in a different language or if you had a head injury where you lost your comprehension of spoken or sung language, I don't know what kind of a head injury that would be. You know, like that sort of thing. Talk to Oliver Sacks. Oh, is he dead? Did he die? I don't know who Oliver Sacks is. I'll, I'll tell you when you're old. Okay. Um, Very influential neuroscientist. Oh, yeah. Oh, I feel bad now. Um. I think that you would still get that kind of summery taste in your brain mouth. Yeah, right. It's like drinking Mountain Dew, but not poison. Oh, <laughs> I, you know, Nick. Like a healthy Mountain Dew. I was, I was so with you this entire episode until you brought up Mountain Dew. <laughs> until you, that. Is that something that you enjoy? No, not anymore. I used to drink it in college. I don't anymore. Did you enjoy it in college? Did you ever enjoy the taste of do you currently or have you ever enjoyed the taste of Mountain Dew? I did. I did drink. I did like it, but I don't do I don't really do sweets regularly, so any soda is just unpalatable for me now. Sure. Yeah. I never I never liked it. I always thought that it was really Well, I mean, I didn't really grow up with soda, but Mountain Dew always just seemed really horrifying to me. It is it's pretty gruesome. It's pretty it, even even now like I every now and then I'll do like a sip of soda. But I can't even do that anymore. Like it's just, ugh, it's detestable. It's offensive. I like seltzer water. I have some um, some pineapple pomelo seltzer water here that I'm drinking. Well, look who's wearing two matching shoes. <laughs> Wait, do you remember? I know this is off piste of us, but do you remember that um, soda that they released as like in upstate New York as a test market when we were kids? Which sludge or splurge no surge 
that was a test that wasn't just you, a regular soda no i don't think that was nationwide i think they tested it in like northern new york and i think that it failed because it was it was hellish do you remember it i have my doubts oh surge surge soda is back it says oh dear god it's a citrus flavored soft drink first produced in the 90s by the coca-cola company to compete with Mountain Dew. With Mountain Dew, yeah, I thought so. It, it, they were trying to outdo the Dew. Yeah, and they say it was advertised as having a more hardcore edge, much like Mountain yeah. Dew's advertising at the time. Oh my god, it was really foul. They were giving it away for free at the mall, I remember. I'm calling shenanigans on the the upstate New York thing because it was originally launched in Norway in 1996. I think that they just saw the snow and thought it was Norway. I do think that we were, I do think that it was a test market though, because there was a whole like weird campaign about it really locally. I don't remember much of this. Oh gosh. Yeah. Maybe I drank so much I I blacked out. It reminds me of Slurm. <laughs> yeah from from futurama like <laughs> slurms mckenzie they're essentially the same thing in yep. my mind wow all right that was a digression it was what else uh, when you look into the slurm <laughs> you look into the slurm <laughs> yeah okay there's one there's one last thing that i want to say about this song that's that i want to get out before you know yeah and that's just um this sense of of the cyclical nature. I don't know if it's because it's talking about seasons and this this idea that summer always comes. Yeah, I wanted to tie that back to when when you back when you were saying you feel like it's a a new person every time, but we eventually end up in the same position. It that's totally seasonal. That totally feels like a, a cyclical seasonal thing. Yeah, I think that there's something about that. There's an element. For me in that and i think that it's i think there's an element of that in the in the singing of it i and i think some of it i'm just like projecting from because for me it was a song that i would always come back to again and again so it's it's cyclical feeling is is something is one of the things that that makes it appealing to you you're saying it's one of the things that that yeah that makes this song a unique experience in the in the at least on this album and and possibly in the whole canon even though it's not in your top seven for tall. Even though it's not in my top tall seven. I think we need to do that. I think we need to go through. We'll do it at the end after we've done every single album. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That could be our final episode. After we do each song chronologically, we will then do them from worst to best. I, I, like, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick. Omen. If this song was a dessert, which dessert would it be? Ooh. I don't think anything too heavy. Right. I it certainly it, it wouldn't be anything like it wouldn't be a baked good. No, certainly not. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be chocolate. Okay. I'm feeling something like an Italian ice or a granita. Oh, interesting choice, yeah. Like s- sweet but maybe like a like a, a sangria granita. So there's a sweetness there, but there's also an underlying like tartness and and that that little bit of alcohol under it, I think. 
Is that a real thing, a sangria, a sangria granita? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not just straight sangria. Well, actually, it might be. I think there's there sangria itself is not so alcoholic that you can't freeze it. Or it turns into a slushy type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, there has to be enough. Interesting. There has to be enough water content that it will freeze enough that you can scrape it. I feel like I'm going to agree with you. I, 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 I go with that for this dessert. And I think that there would be a little bit of Around the rim of the dish, there would be a chili lime salt. Ooh. Yeah. That sounds really good, that combination. Uh, I'm hungry now. Why the chili lime salt, though? What what does that... Well, it adds that it adds that heat and that haze and a little bit of that saltiness and that bitterness. And it, it's, the, the sharp, it's the sharp contrast, but also those warm flavors... Yeah, both texture and flavor-wise, there is the combination. And it gives you a little bit of color. It gives you that dark that dark rim of color around the more, what I'm imagining is a more tropical-colored granita. The salt will make the granita taste a little bit sweeter, too. Exactly. Just like the sadness of this song makes its hopeful feeling even more seducing. Sedu- seduceful? Seductive. Seductive. <laughs> so, Omen. Nick, yes. The cover of Stand Up. You know, I think that this is... I think that one of the things that I'm sad about is that we didn't grow up in an age where records were the primary mode of listening to audio because the album cover artwork is such a lost art form now. Yeah. And we had CD art. Which, I mean... Sure. I mean, like, I remember reading the liner notes, but... It was better than better than cassette, you know? Correct. Or nothing, which is what we have now. Yeah. But um, I feel like that large format lent itself so well to something so unique and beautiful as the album cover for stand-up. Yeah. Which, listening out there, if you haven't seen it, just do a quick Google image search for it, or maybe we can put it in the notes of this episode. Oh, snap. Oh, I think we just did it. It's It has happened. That's the sound of it happening. <laughs> Oops. All right. Am I, am I still recording? Probably. Yes, I am. Yeah, where did this come from, Nick? What is it? What are we looking at when we see this thing? It is actually a wood carving. They wood carved every single album cover that they sold. They had a team of three Finnish wood carvers going nonstop for six years, creating the thousands of album covers that they sold. Yeah. The the album packaging is made of a very thin piece of wood. This is these are lies. Um I wanna be <laughs> I wanna be clear in case we're confusing anyone. Um So so just like let me give you let me let me paint you a word picture of what of what we're looking at when we see this. It's like it's like staring into uh, how do I even describe it? It is so early 1970s and late 1960s that 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 it really it's it's like if the 1960s were being done 
as okay here's what it is are you ready i i cannot wait <sighs> it is 600 years from now our descendants in a reverie of historical nostalgia have decided to create a pleasure fair of the 1970s and some one has rediscovered the lost art of wood carving and they create this to depict what the 1970s looked like i'm looking at at first you only see three faces of gentlemen sort of sitting with their their arms around their knees but in a comfortable way and then you realize that they are sitting on their fourth their fourth companion there's a little a little leather pouch sack hanging down Ian Anderson's watch is set to quarter past five presumably in the afternoon they all look baked out of their minds I mean if I'm if I'm honest there's some there are some like leather lace-up boots there's some there's a hat there's one of those hippie bands around someone's head but it is all done in this incredible woodcut yeah. It's the cra it's one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. The styles vary in terms of fashion. The the styles like Ian Anderson looks like he just popped out of a Ren fair. But but wore his, his watch. Right. Ex except except that he has a totally modern wristwatch. Yeah. Yeah, well he's a patron. He's not a he's not an actual actor. Oh god. It's uh yeah, it's super it's very reminiscent of the the 60s and 70s animation style just like kind of yeah. big almost um caricature-esque it's it is it is a delight it's it i i when when i was younger when i was in high school and and saw this i did not like this art style i remember seeing it on a t-shirt i believe at one of the concerts i didn't even realize that it was an, al an album cover right I mean, I have to say, I don't know that I would want that up in my, in my house. If I had a house, I wouldn't want it up in that. As displayed as art, you're saying? This is the reason I have remained transient for so long, Nick, is because my fear is that if I get a permanent living space, someone will make me hang up a poster of that album cover on my wall. And I don't want, I don't want it's that. It's legitimate. It's a legitimate fear. It really is. Yeah. I, I listen, I've seen what happened to you. <laughs> So where did they, how did this wood carving come to be? I just want to point out the album is called Stand Up and they're all sitting down. Yes. <laughs> Which like, is obviously was intentional. I never, I never realized that. I've looked at this for 20 years. Oh my God. Um, so it was, it was a design that began with, during a tour, during one of their tours, very early on, obviously, uh, they they visited a a wood carver in New Haven, Connecticut. They met with the, a guy named James Grashow, and uh, he followed them for yeah. a week to basically study them and and work on it in in the the process. Yeah, I mean, once you. You buy a woodcarver one meal, it's really difficult for them to get them to leave you alone. Oh yeah. They start with they start with like forks and stuff and then they just want to do your likeness. They're worse than cats in that regard. Yeah. And so he he basically followed them around, so this must have been 
post-original guitarist. Oof. I, I, all I can think about is Martin Barr. Mick, Mick Abrams. So it, this must have been post-Abrams. That's what, I, that's what I say when I'm making love. All I can think about is Martin Barr. <laughs> and then, bamo, you're done. You're done. So you have to. You can't think about Martin Barr. That's how you keep up the stamina. Uh, <laughs> that's all I can. That's all I can think about. So it's it, it's it's post Abrams, but pre stand up album, obviously. So this this must have been in that that tour of only a couple of months before uh, stand up came out. But but one of those wood carved likenesses is Martin Barr. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Right, right, right. So, I mean, I, I I wonder if it was, there are two narratives that exist in my head. One of them is that they're all sitting on on a tour bus driving th- on the East Coast in, you know, through the wilds of Connecticut. And one of them says, wouldn't it be great if our new album cover was a wood carving? And then they go and seek out, they get off their bus and they're like, hey, anyone know any wood carvers? And New Haven, Connecticut is like, <laughs> it's my cousin. So that's one version okay. in my head. And the other the other version that I, I don't know, I think is more likely somehow in my head is that they played a concert and they were relaxing after their amazing performance. And as they were like combing out their beards, <laughs> combing out each other's having beards. a cold one and having a cold one backstage there was a knock on the dressing room door and they opened it and there was james grasshow who was like gentlemen i have realized that my purpose in life is to carve your likenesses in wood and they were all just like yeah all right i have the the actual answer (laughs) but i do want to point out that the album won new musical express which is a British music journalism magazine. Um, it won their best album artwork in 1969. Wow. That's amazing. Terry Ellis just told them to go meet with this dude. So it was their producer's idea. Period. That's it. That's all. <laughs> wow. Neither of the outrageous things that I suggested happened. Yeah. So like life. The original art, the original album, rather, when you opened it, it popped up. It was a pop-up, like a children's pop-up book. That is crazy. Have you seen the real thing? I haven't. No, I think you could. We could probably find an image of, of the original album artwork like, with an old Wow. Yeah. I I don't have anything more to say. Yeah, that was. It's just such a good song, though. That was an emotional roller coaster talking about it. It is. It really is. And I, I encourage all of this. All of these songs can be found on YouTube. I encourage you to buy the, the work. But if, if you need it pronto, pause this and go to YouTube. Because of all of all of the ones that we've listened to thus far, I would definitely say this is. That there's only so much that we can describe this and talk about this to capture what it actually is, I think. And if you already own this song or are listening to it on a streaming service but still want to support the artists, you could go over to 
Ian Anderson's Big Cat Rescue and donate to his efforts to save exotic cats in the wild and to protect them from exploitation in captivity. There we go. I I support that. Yeah. Oh, and you have to go to the website and see the picture of Ian Anderson holding a very grumpy-looking kitty. <laughs> That's um, JethroTall.com, right? Or is that IanAnderson.com? It's BigCatRescue.org. <laughs> oh, even better. Head over to BigCatRescue.org for some kitties. Oh, sh- I just knocked, I just knocked my pineapple pomelo sparkling water over. Heavens to Betsy. <laughs> I'm going to take that again while, while you, while you collect yourself, <gasps> you 1920s Southern Belle. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Don't look into the sun before you rate and review us. Um, do that first and then you can blind yourself. And just listen to that song on repeat. Come back next week for the first song off of side two of the album. That's exciting. Yeah, that's right. Side two. And the song, we're going to go back into another kind of sound and musical powerhouse here. We're going to kick stuff back up with Nothing Is Easy. Ooh, it is not. It's true. It It is an album of truth. In the meantime, don't forget to rate us, powder your noses, review us, send comments into our website page, which is fecklessmomes.com. And please remember to listen to this podcast through one of the protective set of glasses that they give you to look at the eclipse. Just this one. I mean, when we go to nothing is easy, you can, you can take them off, but just to be safe. That's right. I am Nick McGill. And I'm Omen Said. And we are Feckless Momes. And this has been Talk Tall to Me. Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Fickless Moons Audio Network.